begin. So this is the new section going into righteousness demonstrated. Kind of what does righteousness look like in the Christian life when it's lived out. Um, and so this is from chapter 12 to about the middle of chapter 15. And then 15 and the end of 15 and 16 are kind of um, summary as well as greetings and things like that. So, um, but today we're looking at Romans 12. So this is where we're going with Romans 12. Today we have the the beginning of the, his appeal. Paul is appealing to the church and urging them to live righteous lives. And so we he has finally kind of finished his establishing of what the gospel is in its whole concept. Um saying that the Gentiles and the Jews were all in this together now and what is it and all of those things that what what that looks like, that it's through faith, by the grace of God, not by our own works. So we have that understanding of the gospel. He says, Now what does this look like lived out? And part of the reason why he spends so much time on this is because people said, well, Paul's gospel didn't actually, they didn't, he didn't actually, it didn't lead to righteous living. It just led, led to whatever, whatever you want to do in the freedom that we have in Christ. And Paul is saying, no, this is my urge that my urge to you and my call to you to live righteously because of what God has done for you. And so really that what happens when the gospel reaches our hearts and we understand what Christ has done for us, our life really changes. It doesn't, it can't really stay the same. And if it stays the same, then you have to ask those questions Am I really truly understanding this? Does this really, do I really understand the gospel when my life doesn't change? He said, it is the natural, it's the natural progression of the gospel is to live righteously. And so now we're going into that, and he's saying, and so he starts with his appeal, Roman, the one and two is kind of his summary, this is where I want to go with this, and then three through 21 is, our relationships with others, that other believers as well as as relationships with people outside of the church. Um, and so we have, that's what we're looking at today. Um, next week we'll talk about uh, our relationship with authority, which is interesting too. So, um, yeah. So let's start with the first two verses. And does someone want to read it? I know you guys are all muted. I muted everybody, so if you just want to read it, just unmute yourself. I think Daryl's going to read read it. it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I just love, I love those verses. Now, has anyone memorized these before? 
No. This was one of our, like, in high school, we memorized it, and then in college, I memorized it. And then then when we moved to Africa, I remember, you know how, like, you, you go back to some of the similar passages? And I, I really like this one because it's that urge of our lives. It's important how we live as Christians. It is not, we don't just go and gather together one moment and then go home and live however we want to. Um... Right now I'm reading through, um, it's a novel, it's a historical novel about um, West Africa, I mean South Africa, it was our leaders in, in South Africa asked us to read it, and I'm reading it and I go, it's interesting to look back on that time and see these believers who are really strong in their faith, but yet there were aspects of their life that just totally didn't that just didn't line up at all to what Christ's teaching is. And um, and so I go, what is there in my life that I'm not living sacrificially in that way? Um, so as we, as we were, as I was reading through that and then Romans chapter 12, I was like, it is truly important how we live and it changes the course of history, but as Christians, but anyways, okay, that was a side note, but okay. So let's just jump in. We're going to kind of take these two verses are going to take some time because there's a lot of explanation that kind of goes with it and a lot of things we can pull out of it. So there are two appeals that he has. One is first to offer yourselves to God. And then the second is to not to be conformed to the world. And so those are the two appeals that he has, but there's a lot of little things inside them. So... So again, this is the hinge of the book that we now are now that we understand the gospel, this is our urge. This is our call, this is the Paul's plea or urge to us. The appeal actually means to urge or to plead or to encourage to do. Um, I like I like uh, the the NIV says, therefore I urge you brothers. And I think urge just has that like coming from the gut and doing and like I really, really want you guys to live this way. <laughs> um, but he says, so it's to plead or to encourage to do this. And it, by the mercies of God, and I don't know if you remember at the end of the last of chapter 11, he has that whole thing about we're all under disobedience so that we all can be under his mercy. And this is kind of that transition. He's like, everyone, this is not just one aspect, but everyone receives God's mercy. So, and and so um, he's like, it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. I just want to read that last, that last uh, verse in 32. 11.32 For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on all of them. And so this idea that he's calling us based on God's mercy, by the mercies of God, he's urging us to to live, to... Well, we're going to get to that. So, But this was not the first time he talked about mercy. And we saw in Romans chapter 9 multiple times he talked about I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and it's he's it's like the gospel is set up in a way of I 
God is showing His mercy and His grace to us, and it's through that that our response comes. Because it's not anything that we can do, but we can respond in righteous living with to His to His um, gift of mercy and grace. So uh, I have a couple. verse references there Titus 3 5 says he saved us not because of works done but by righteousness but sorry he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit and then 1 Peter 1 3 says according to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so you have these aspects of God has shown us mercy, and it's through these mercies that God, that Paul is pleading with us to, now we move on, to present ourselves to God. And so we presenting, to present means to stand before or to make an offering to. And which is kind of like if we go all the way back to Romans chapter 1 and it's like we've been given over to our sin and now through Christ we're able to stand before God and present ourselves to him which is really kind of beautiful um, and so there's also the another aspect in Romans chapter 6. He says he uses the same word to present. And he says, do not present your members to sin. And, um, and then he says, and so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. And so he has those, he's already talked about presenting ourselves to God and how we used to present ourselves to sin, but now we can present ourselves to God through Christ. And so it's this this plea, which I just think is so cool. And then, um, and then, what does he mean by the body? Why why is it? Why are you presenting our bodies? What do you think he means by that? Okay, like just not giving in to lustful desires. Okay, so you have the aspect of like the this like the cravings of the sinful nature maybe mm-hmm. yeah is there another aspect you have like when he talks about the body maybe could it be when you say you're the hands and feet of Jesus yeah that's one aspect too mm-hmm yeah, I see it more like it's the body of Christ and that we all, you know, when you read a little bit after here, it says how we all have our gifts and we all have to use it. They're all thread together to work together. Mm-hmm. Yep. So all of the, then I, I, I think that all of these have have an aspect in it. So you have like, we're not to get, we're not, we're pre- to present our bodies, not not to the sinful cravings and, and lusts. And the bodies are, are individuals as well as the corporate, the whole of the church. So when, and just like Hun Kal said, he ta- starts talking about the, 
that we all work together. We're all separate parts, but we make up the, the body of Christ. And so you have both aspects here, but you also have the aspect that this is the whole self, and you also have the aspect of the body is something that is living and present now. And so it's very possible that is that he was making this statement of like we want you I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice meaning like this is not just not just in a spiritual sense but in a physical sense that we're offering ourselves to God no matter what the physical cost is to us um which is kind of timely in our in our moment of of history right now also and this is why in the past you see a lot of you see a lot of people a lot of Christians in the past you see would go into leper colonies when they knew there was no cure when they would they would go to places where they knew that when you read some of these early missionary biographies and they would go out into the jungles and they knew they wouldn't be returning they knew they would never see their families again that's a totally different sacrifice than even Eric and I can make and so it's just, it's that idea that with what God has given me in my present body, I will present to him, no matter the cost. So that at that aspect, but then you also have the aspect of we're going to present ourselves as the whole body of Christ to God. And so you have those things too. And then you have the living sacrifice. So... When you think of the word sacrifice, what is the first thing you think about? In when you think about Christian, like the Christian life, or not the Christian life, or when you think about the Bible, when you hear the word sacrifice, you, for me, I immediately think Old Testament. Does any does, does anyone else kind of feel that way? You're like, okay, no, the sacrifice that was something that happened in the past, or we think of Christ as the final sacrifice. Um, but I think he's he's pulling out some parallels as as to the sacrifice of the sacrifices of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament sacrifices were offered presented to God as alive, without blemish. That's how they came to the Lord. And he said, "So our, we're not just to go and seek martyr, martyrdom, but we're to live lives that are pleasing to God." So there there was this aspect of like you know you can put yourself into a situation where you can seek martyrdom or you can put yourself in a place where you're living a life that is a representation of who God is and people will come to you through that so um, I think that the early church you'd find people that it was easier to die for Christ than to live for him and so I think that that aspect you're seeing a little bit why he uses the word living the living sacrifice and it's good for us as Christians today is that especially as the culture continues to separate from Christian uh, values we're going to start seeing we're going to have to make these living sacrifices to continue to be faithful to Christ and there's going to be more and more differences and there's going to be more and more things where it's going to be like why are these people so weird why are they not doing this why are they not doing this and um, 
but we're to be living living our lives that are pleasing to God first, not to the culture around us. Yeah, maybe. Okay. <laughs> um, Julian. Who's talking? Can it, oh. be, can it be also, I see the living sacrifice as our dedication to live our Christian life. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 the diligence that comes with living exactly. a Christian life. And so you have to you have to make those you have to make those decisions to actually follow Christ. You know, God does the work in our hearts, but we work alongside with him. We don't just be like, okay, I'm waiting for God to deal with my pride. We also take steps to deal with our pride. So you have these two aspects of it. And so when we present ourselves as a living sacrifice, it's meaning that we're offering ourselves to God for Him to work in us, but for us to also work alongside Him. It's kind of like this agreement, like, I'm going to be with you and doing what you want in my life. Um, and so it's kind of, it's that willingness as well. But it's more than willingness. It's actually action. So. Yeah, so, okay. Um, and so, our sacrifice, I, I've got my Bible in front, okay. Um, our, so we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, and this is to be holy and pleasing to God. And so, holy again means to be set apart. And and pleasing or acceptable means it's that it's ple- something that's pleasing or well-pleasing to God. So our lives are not just to be pleasing the people around us, but just is to be pleasing God. And who sets the standard of what is holy or set apart? God, yeah. <laughs> I got that from Shirley, even with your, <laughs> with your microphone off. You're like, God. Um, yeah, and so God is the one who does that. So he is our standard. And it's hard to sometimes look past our own culture to see what our sta- what his standard is. Um, but I think it will get easier as the culture continues to separate. Because sometimes when things are so different, you can easily see the differences. I'm sorry, my computer keeps popping up things. I don't know how to stop that. Okay, um, and then he says that this is our this is your spiritual worship. What does that mean? And interestingly enough, as I started looking through this, this this I thought was very interesting because I'm like he goes and then he's he talks about not conforming to the pattern of the world, and I always thought okay the word spiritual that's just the the word for spiritual, but the word that is used here is only used twice in scripture, and. Um, it actually means logically or thoughtfully. And in the word for worship is actually service. And so it, it kind of changed a little bit of my perspective. He said, this is the logical, thoughtful service to God that comes from the gospel. And so... They kind, and then I go, oh, that, this makes sense. He's like, as Christians, we don't just not think 
about our faith or not think about what it looks like in our lives or not think about how our faith affects those, those around us. Or it doesn't, those things don't, that, those things don't happen. I think we're having a breakdown in the other room with the kids. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm distracted a little this morning. But so you have, so then he moves from this, this spiritual worship to the, to, uh, that is thoughtful and logical and you have all of that and you move to, to this, not, to, to the not conforming. And so this sense of not conforming is really, it's, it's, it's heart and, and head. So it's like when people say that Christians don't, they just do everything based on faith without any grounds. They don't actually think about anything. That is not what Paul is saying here. He's like, no, we do things thoughtfully and we do things very deliberately with diligence. And so as he goes on to the next plea, which is not conforming any longer to the pattern of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, um, then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And so it's not that we're just following a list of what is right and wrong, but it's that we are actually grappling with these things. And that's what we're doing in Bible study and that's what we do as Christians when we gather together for fellowship. We grapple with these issues and we talk about them and we discuss them. And we say, well, how is this best lived out? Um, and that's the encouragement that we get from fellowship with one another is when we say, how do we do this? How do we do this together? Um, anyways, okay, so I have a lot of side notes today. So if it's confusing, just be like, stick with the straight and narrow. So, or if you have questions, please un- unmute and say, I have a question. So don't feel, don't feel bad about, like, interrupting. Please interrupt me if you have a question. I was just going to say, we also have that chat feature, too, if you want to, like, put yeah. that out there, and then we can refer to those again. And yeah. I, I can't see it. It's across the bottom. Do you see there's, like, on the bottom you have um, where it says mute, stop video, invite yeah. manage participants? I can't. Oh, I can't. If you click on chat, it'll bring up a little uh, screen. Of, but, like, I'll do it right now. I can't do it with the thing open. Oh, okay. here we go. You can just click on it and look at it when you see it pop up. So it doesn't show it. Okay, here we go. I like being interrupted. Okay. So because I think it helps with discussion. Okay. So if that's okay. But if you are not talking, like I saw someone, I think Elizabeth is on, but without audio. I, okay, I put it up in the corner so now I can see it. So if you write a question. All right. Okay. So, any questions on the first verse? That was just the first verse. Okay. <laughs> like, let's keep going. It sounds like the girl stopped fighting. That's good. <laughs> Who knows? Okay. So here we go. So let's not conform. And I I like to title this one the nonconformists. 
because I like all the baggage that comes with nonconformist words. <laughs> but um, but the the word and is important to that these two sen these two sentences are kind of like we need to view them as one long sentence. They go together. You, there's you really can't you can't offer yourself to God and and be conformed to the world still, and you can't be conformed to the world and offer yourself to God. So like the both sides are there. Um, so do not be conformed. Conformed. What do you think conformed means? I mean, this the, uh, that word of conformed is. I would say shaped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, shaped is a good word. Do you have any other ideas? Influenced. Influenced, yeah. Shaped, influenced. And I, when I think, I think of conformed, I think of a mold. You're like pushed into a mold. And um, he's like, no, we're not going to be doing that anymore. He's like, let's not be conformed. Um, let's not be guided by, let's not be shaped to, not be influenced by. Um, and this word conformed is actually only used twice in scripture. Uh, and the other one is First Peter um, 1 4, 14. First Peter 1 verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So there's this aspect of the things that you once were part of. He's like, we're no longer conforming to that. And it's an action, it's an active step away from that. And so, um, so you, I think you're starting to see that Paul's saying the Christian life is not just ignorant belief. It is something that impacts everything and it, urges us to move forward and to live righteously so that we can be a representation of who Christ is to other believers as well as to the world. But um, Then the word to this world, so we're not going to be conformed to this world, is actually to this age, which has this idea of the current world system, how things are done. And as I'm reading some of this history right now, and I go, it was a totally different world system at that time. And it's really easy to look back and say, like, yeah, they were totally wrong here. But then when you see how they looked through it, and you said, well, the Bible talks about that, and the Bible says that. And I go, I, I can just see how quickly we can interpret things based on what's going on around us instead of truly what scripture says and so um but so we need it's this is not this is not the only place where he talks about we need to not be we need to not be thinking like the world but we need to be thinking about christ this is not the only time he does this because this is not something that is it's not easy and it takes this constant spiritual battle for us to do this um, and then the devil is also the devil is also referred to as the ruler of this age and so this idea we're not going to be conformed to his ways and the devil can be sneaky 
you know, Ariel had said at one point, she's like, well, if the devil ever tempts me, I just be like, stop tempting me, devil. And I'm like, what happens if you don't know that he's tempting you? When you don't even realize it. She's like, well, then I'll just pray. And I'm like, that is the right response, you know. And I go, Ariel, Ariel in her little, in her wisdom that I'm like, yeah, it is, that is the right response. We need to pray that God, that God opens our eyes to see those things. And, um. Those are not easy prayers because when God opens our eyes to, for us to see the things in our lives that are not conformed to him, it's, we have to take steps forward when God reveals those things. And so when we pray that, we're praying God's will and you know that he will answer it. And you go, am I prepared for this? <laughs> and so we have to ask, ask those questions as we're praying. But. So we are not to conform to this world or the age, the pattern, the world system, whatever it may be. <clears throat> We're not conforming to it, but we are being transformed. And the word transformed is used um, multiple times, and well, I think four times in Scripture. Uh, the first one here, and then the first two are talking about the transfiguration of Christ. And then the, the other time that it's used is in 1 Corinthians 3.18. And it says, We all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, being transformed in the same Id- image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes the Lord, who is the Spirit. And you have this aspect of our transformation is us moving away from our sinful nature and ourself and slowly moving to look more and more like Christ. This transformation into our... The other word we would use is this is our sanctification, that we're slowly looking more and more like Christ. Um, But I like this from one degree of glory to another, um, that it's not... We're not here one day and then all of a sudden here the next day. It's this progressive step that God is working in our lives. So it's a transformation. It may not, it may be like, maybe you knew someone in high school who was just like awful, just an awful person, and they came to Christ, and you see them 15 years later, and you're like, you're not, who are you? You know, you ask that question, and because you can see the transformation over time, and hopefully in your life, in your own spiritual walk, you can look back on what God, where you were, and this is why God always says, look back. Remember, in Ephesians, he says, he pleads with them, please look back and remember where you were so that you know where you are now. Because sometimes we can get discouraged at our current state and saying, I'm not moving forward. It doesn't seem like I'm moving forward. And we can be encouraged to see where we started. But then we can also look back and say, like, I was vile, and now I see where God has me. Um, and I can see his work in my life. And so that, and it's it's slow. It doesn't happen quickly. Um, maybe it does for Maybe maybe it does for some people, for certain aspects in our lives, that God changes us quickly. 
like the the sailor who gets saved and then he stops swearing the next day like instead of like one less swear word per year or something like that so you know there's that's a ridiculous example but still um you you see those things happen too but usually god works with us slowly and that's out of his own grace and mercy knowing how much that we can handle at that time so um so being to that transformation is to look more like christ and who and christ is the image of god's righteousness and so we have this idea like we can try to gain our righteousness in order to have a right standing before God. But that can't get us to God. Only through Christ's righteousness are we able to be with God. And then because of what Christ has done, we seek to look more like him. So you just see how the gospel is much more than just rules followed or if I just do this one thing, then I'll be saved. It's a whole life transformation. Okay, so we have transformation, and then how does this transformation happen? The renewal, by the renewal of our minds. This word um, is also used in Titus 3.5, that he saved us not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And I, I think we, I started with this verse earlier. Um, but by the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And that aspect of the renewal that comes through the Spirit's work in our, in our hearts and in our spirit. Um, and so the renewal comes through the Spirit in the light of the gospel. So we have to know the gospel for the Spirit to work in us also. So we have these aspects of the Spirit's renewal, as well as the next part, which is of our mind. So the renewal of our mind, which is intellectual, which is a way of thinking, the intellect or the way of thinking. Um, So the renewal of our mind is actually this reversal of the depraved mind that we're handed over to in chapter 1, which is really interesting, isn't it? I'm like, to make those connections, I'm like, that we are able to take what happened with our sinful, all of our sinfulness, and that our, our thinking was totally depraved, totally futile. Not, it was just not helpful in any way. And he's like, we're able to take that and have our mind renewed through the work of the Holy Spirit, um, being transformed to look more like Christ. And I'm like, that's awesome. Um looks like I don't have any notes under this next one, but I really like how he ends this. He said that by testing you may discern what the will of God, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So he's like, we use our minds as Christians to test. So we're not, we're just like the Bereans when Paul went to the Bereans and the Bereans were like, we hear you saying all these things, but we have to look back at Scripture and say, where does this, is this true? And so they searched Scripture and they found what he was saying was true and he, and they came and they, you know, and they came to Christ. But they, they didn't just flippantly accept it. It was something that was thought out. And even when I think of 
Brooke and Christoph, your story of how you came to Christ of like you're like, no, if we're gonna if we're gonna follow him, we want to know really everything. <laughs> and and that that is that 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 God has called us to use our minds also. And um so we have the spirit and the will that are both there. Okay. If you ever if you ever get a chance to listen to Brooke and Christoph's um testimony, it's fun. So <laughs> um okay, so we have so by testing, to test is to examine or approve. Um this is actually used very often in scripture to test the scriptures, to test yourself, to test other believers, which is very different from most religions, actually. Like, if a Muslim comes to his imam and he says, I want to know, I want to know who, why does the Quran say this? They say, you need to stop asking questions. So you, you see this, and you see this all throughout, that the questions are not, encouraged in a lot of religion but you see in here it's like no you need to examine and you need to accept and approve what is there and that's one of the ways that makes the christian faith different is that you are you are encouraged to ask questions and so um and you're encouraged to test and examine yourself as well as other believers this is not judgment, but an examining. So as we encourage each other to walk in faith and to walk in, um, in the Christian life, when we see our brother or sister falling away, that you can examine and you say, where is this, where is this happening? How can we come alongside them to bring them back? And so that this word for... Um, testing or to examine the testing really has both to examine and to approve the both aspects are in that within that word so that you'll be able to examine and to approve um, what God's will is so uh, the will of God and then what and what is the will of God? It is his moral will, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So as Christians, we don't just follow a list of morality, but think, examine, and listen to the Spirit to accept the knowledge of what God's will is. And so the, we have these, these aspects of we're not just following the law, which is what the Jews had. They followed the law. Like, we know that this is good, so we're just going to follow it. But we actually we are to discern what God's will is. And we have the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. Okay. Questions? Comments? Kayla? Oh, I just had a comment about, like, um, other people, like, other religions and stuff, like, I feel like with Christianity, it's it's empowering um, in the sense that you get to use your brain. Like, uh, just a yeah. reminder throughout your journey um, that God created you from dust, but he gave you a very... It, 
it just shows his power <clears throat> in creation that he, he made you so complex and there's so much you could never stop studying or learning um, about him and there's so much freedom in that and it it doesn't feel like it's like creating robots you know yeah it's so personal and um, just the way that you're created to be in relationship and test one another and um, and do that it's um, it, it's just really freeing and empowering I think the, the setup I think that's why when somebody does study it um, they're drawn to that that's yeah yeah and it's true because there's freedom in in Christ and we're free to follow him and to search him and that's what the gospel has allowed us to do is to be free to do those things and honestly you hit it right on the head now as Christians we move on to this next section of the church and what that looks like as the body of believers coming together um, so if someone wants to read this next section that was a great transition Kayla good job <laughs> Yeah, and I'll go ahead and read it. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Okay, does that sound like a list that you could just check off? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think he puts it together like this so that we have this aspect of what does, it, what does it look like as the body of Christ. And not that it's a check-off list, but as a whole, when the body of Christ works together, these are the things that we see. So, for you checklist people, be careful. But, so let's start with sober judgment. So, oh, wait, no. Yeah. We're going to start with the grace that... Okay, does anyone have any questions on this section before we actually move on? Were there things that you're like, what is he referring to here? Yeah. Who I do. Um, it says here to... Um, with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith. Yeah. And then 
by verse number six, it says, in proportion to our faith. Yeah. So, does this mean that it's like certain amount given to, and I got lost there. I don't understand what the measure and the proportion means. Did you, did you come up, did you kind, did you come up with any ideas? I'm, I'm trying to make you think a little bit. You were trying to make me think I'm worn out. I can't think right now. <laughs> we'll talk about it. But I just wondered if if anyone else had that question. It was like, what is this measure of faith? And I actually, I spent probably too much time thinking about it. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> um, and so I had an interesting conversation with Eric about it yesterday too. So um kind of what that looks like okay do we have any other questions on the on that section maybe okay so then we'll just go in sorry to interrupt did you say through verse 13 um yeah i think or do you want to wait um let's i want to do kind of um through eight okay perfect okay so, so for the grace that's given to me, and again, so you, you see later the measure of faith given to the grace given me. Paul uses this a lot when he talks about his ministry. Um, for the grace that is given to me, that he's even able to do this. And so it's, this, it's for him, God's grace given to Paul to do his work. So this is specific specifically instruction and then specifically instruction for other believers but in this thing in this circumstance but he says this a lot in his letters for the grace given to me I do this for the grace given me I do this and it's kind of this idea of I can't I wouldn't be doing this on my own this is only the grace that God has given me to say to each to everyone among you and so um that idea that God has given Paul a specific grace to do the ministry that he's called him to do, uh, which will go into kind of the measure of faith in a, in a few minutes as we get to that. Um, but I say, but then he says, I say to everyone among you, so this is to individuals, to every single member of the church, not just to the church as a whole, but to every single individual um, that is in the congregation, this kind of next section is talking individually as well as corporately. So, uh, every individual has a spiritual gift that God has given them. You can't say, God hasn't given me that. So, we start asking the question, what is the spiritual gift that God has given? So, yeah. So, let's say, Let's continue. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. This is for every single person. This is not given to some and not to others. <laughs> this is for everyone that they need to be humble. So not to think highly of oneself or to be haughty is the, was the idea there. And Paul warned about this downfall by the pride of the Jews in chapter 2 and then and then to the gentiles in chapter 12 and chapter 12 and chapter 11 it's supposed to be 11 um, 
like because he that with the branches and he's like hey i'm warning you like i cut off israel for the pride and i i won't i will also i won't it won't slow me down to cut you off for pride also and so this idea of humility is really important and he said it's to both of to both sides the jews and the gentiles so this is to every believer it doesn't matter where your background is from and he urges each of them not to think highly of themselves which is this which is just like difficult right we always think of ourselves first <laughs> it's just how it's just how our nature is and so he says we're not going to think too highly of ourselves but we're going to think with sober, sober judgment. And really, I want to make a comment that there are two different ways that pride is kind of brought out. One is in I'm awesome, and the other is I'm awful. Both aspects are pride because it's putting yourself at the, in, the, in the middle of the world. So we say, my situation is worse than everyone else's, and pity me, poor me, I'm awful. That's not, that also is pride. And usually when we get put in a situation, we're like, God could never use me, I can't do this. Okay, I'm saying blah, 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 because those things are not true, but they put us in the center. And so it's a, it is a form of pride. I remember I was in college when I first realized this because it was something I was struggling with, like, God could never use me. This is never... And when someone someone addressed to me, like, what, why, where you're at is prideful and you need to stop and you need to trust that God has made you for a purpose and a reason and he has something in store for you. And it was kind of like a slap in the face for me. So, but recognizing that pride can come and can be manifest in different ways. One is pity and the other is boastfulness. And so we have both of them and so we had to find the balance between the two of them. All right, that's a side note. But okay, so but we need to think of ourselves with sober judgment and maybe this that is the aspect of looking at to think, to have a certain attitude about Sober judgment is not, is actually seeing the reality that is there. So when we are in the midst of sin, a sober judgment would be repentance and coming back to the Lord. That would be a sober judgment. When we are living a righteous life, a sober judgment would be humility. To say, okay, Lord, you have done this, you have done this for me. And, I, and, and gratefulness and thankfulness. And so you have sober judgment is, this, is having a sound mind. And it also has the nuance of self-control, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit, that we are self-controlled in even our view of ourselves and others around us. So recognizing that none of us live in a bubble. We all have things around us that, well, we're all kind of living in a bubble right now, but... But we like, none of us, we're all influenced by the things around us. And so recognizing that 
where this believer is standing right now, yeah, I could judge them and be like, why are they not doing this? But if I knew their whole history, I would go, look at where God has brought them. So there's things like there's things like that where we start as Christians we need to think soberly and not with blinders on. Um, so don't think of yourself too highly, but think of yourself with sober judgment. So that's both the prideful side and the and the boastful the boastful side as well as the pity side of of um, thinking of yourself too highly. Or too, maybe we, it should be like we're thinking of ourselves too often <laughs> instead of highly. But, um, but each, and then he says, then he goes and he said, this is each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So what is, what is measure? What does it mean? You say, I'm going to measure something. Oh, it's an exact ruling. Um... Yeah. Exactly. It's an exact ruling. That's perfect. And so like you go this this ruling of like this is how it this is how it is. And so the measure is what is apportioned. So God has apportioned what now I have to say this gently. There are two different interpretations of what this means, but um God has apportioned each a measure of faith. So he has apportioned each faith. And I don't know if this is something that he gives us at this time, I have this amount of faith, and then he adds on to it when I need more faith because he's revealed something else in my life and he's apportioned a new set of faith. You know, and so we have, I don't know where where the lines are on this, um, but that God apportions or gives us different gifts of ministry exercised by faith that are just given by God. So this idea of something that is each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned, I would, I would interpret that as the different gifts of ministry that God has given each of us and that we are to use those gifts that he assigned to us in the best capacity that we have. Um, but another meaning or another interpretation of this is that every believer is given the same specific faith. It's not given to individuals. It's not given differently to different individuals, but it's the common faith that we have as all Christians. And so you have scholars scholars they they fall in these two categories when I was talking about the measure of faith or the measure of grace or the gifts of grace that are given um, that each that everyone is given the same gift of faith uh, I would fall under that God has given us each different gifts of faith and different measures of faith so that we work together as a body of Christ and I feel like it makes more sense that way even how he's using it here in this passage to where he's going talking about the different um, role the different gifts of the spirit which is where he's going but that's something that you can kind of wrestle with I don't think either is heretical I just think that 
there's some nuance that we're unaware of. So, someone's breaking in to my room. They didn't come in. They just unlocked it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Any questions on that? Does that help kind of a little bit? Who call? So the med, like really, not, it's hard, it's really hard to explain. And literally Eric and I talked about it for like an hour and a half yesterday. We're just sitting there and I'm like, and he, he's like, the, the, even in the Greek, it's not, it's not necessarily clear to say which, which one is this. Um, so I think that's why you end up with both interpretations. And maybe both are there, is that God gives us a measure, the same measure of faith that we all believe, but then he is apportioned to each of us a specific role to play in the body of Christ. Maybe we can take both of them, I don't know. So, so but, uh, yes, what do you want? You can ask your father, okay, he's downstairs. Okay, close the door, please. Sorry. She wants a bun. Lock it. Good. Lock it. Yeah, lock it. Mm -hmm. Since it just was unlocked. <laughs> She's holding the key. Well, I'll lock it again for you, bro. Like, okay. <laughs> okay, so the gifts of the spirit to edify the body is kind of this next section. I thought I deleted that part. So, verses 4 through 8. Um, okay, I, I typed this, and then I talked was talking with Eric about it, and he's like, yeah, that's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily one long sentence. It could be interpreted as one long sentence in the original. And I was like, oh. And I thought I went back and deleted that, so I, I probably will. <laughs> so... He said it could, it, but it, it is clear that these are connected together. So all of these, all of these, all of the, this passage is all kind of one thought, and we need to have that understanding. So, and then it's connecting with also the word for, connects to the verses on sober judgment. So this is where we're going now. Um, as in. So as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So did I miss? I feel like I missed a verse. Oh, that was verse 3. Is this verse 4? Just as each of us, yeah, okay. As in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So that's talking about the actual human body. Like we have hands and fingers and fingernails and you know, I don't know how much importance fingernails are. Like fingernails are important. You wouldn't think they are, but they are. And they hurt when they're not working how they're supposed to. Trinity had hand, foot, mouth in um, February. And I didn't know there's a side effect is that you can lose your fingernails. So then they grow back. So her fingernails were ripping off halfway halfway through her fingernail. And she's like, they hurt. And I'm like, even this something small like the fingernail is super important. And when it's not doing what it's supposed to, it causes pain to the rest of the body. <laughs> Which I felt like was a good example of 
Christians. But um, so, so this talking about the body has different members, but they don't all have the same function, but they work together. So we, though we are, we are many, are one body in Christ, but individually members one of another. Um, and so I just kind of re-summarize that as just as a physical physical body has many parts that function as, as and belong to the whole in the same mat, in the same way, the body of Christ is made up of many individuals who function as and belong to the whole. So we work individually, and they each do their thing. Like my fingers do their thing, but when I move this one, I can move these all other move and move together with it to to make a whole action and so uh, I was even thinking this morning like when you listen to harmony and like a four piece harmony everyone is singing something different and when you gets put together it's just absolutely beautiful unless you have one person that decides to sing a different song and then it's just in dissonance and you're like I can't handle it so that's why I don't I, I'm not a part of any singing group because I am the dissonance <laughs> I'm like it's just it's just how it is but um, so we have this aspect and so he's going to go and he's like what does that look like um, and so we go on to the next um, the next as- aspect is the having gifts, and this gifts is um, is the word gifts is like gracious gifts. So this is this kind of that idea of spiritual gifts. Um, usually, this word in Greek is used when it's talking about gifts that are given by God for the edification of the church. So um, it's kind of one of those um, words that are markers for when when they're talking about it in the New Testament. Um, so having gifts that differ according to the grace given to each of us. So meaning that each has a different gift of grace. Um, now I have to say that like God gives more than one serve like service person to a congregation. He gives more than one teacher to a congregation. He gives more than one, you know. So it's not just there's only one. So the you know a body of Christ is only made up of fifteen people. You know, he's like, no, that's not what he's saying. But he's saying that each is given a specific gift and role to you to be used and and to be to be used. He said, let us use them. So the different, the diff, um, so each each are different, but we but we're supposed to use them. And so this is I like that he's like, God has given it to you, so why are you not using it? And um, really, we I think as Christians we need to say that more often to our other believers. God has given you this gift. Why are you not using it? God has given you this gift. Why are you not using it? Well, I'm using it. You know, I'm I'm a teacher at an elementary school. Yeah, but God has given you the gift to teach. Why are you not using it to edify the body of Christ? And so we were talking um, we were talking about this in our small group, and 
one one of the guys is a um, golf instructor and we're like well you're a teacher he's like I'm not a teacher he's like I'm really not good at teaching but he's he's a compassion guy and he likes to encourage and what he realized is that all he does is he encourages people to golf better and he's like I need to use that in the body of Christ how do I use the gifts that God has given me I'm using it elsewhere why am I not using it in the body of Christ and so he kind of stepped back into another role that in the church um, that he, he asked, he's like, maybe I need to do this again. So, um, And there, there's these things as, as Christians, we have to be a part. We have to be a part of the whatever God has given us. We have to use it. And so I would probably go as far as saying it is wrong for us not to use our gifts. And um, And... If the church doesn't have an avenue for us to use our gifts, then we need to make one. <laughs> so, um, because this is the purpose of the church, and if so, if the if it's if there's no avenue for it in the church, it means the church is missing something, and so we need to. This is something we need to work on as a body of believers. Um, that's a side note. Anyways, okay, but First Corinthians seven seven. Uh, also says, but each has his own gift from God, one of one, one of one kind, and one of another. And so, again, that's kind of in support of saying like God has given each of us a specific grace to do a specific ministry. And I don't know if that changes. I don't know if He, if the Spirit gives us different gifts at different times. Um, and it also is not an excuse. To to not do other things in the church that need to be done. So like even though I am not a mercy person, I I have very little compassion. So like even if I don't have that compassion it does not mean that I'm not supposed to be compassionate to other people. It doesn't come easily for me, but it's something that I still need to be striving for. Uh in in 1 Corinthians Chapter 12, when it talks about the different gifts, it says we should all be striving for all of them, but we have to be living in the ones that God has given us. All right, questions? It's beautiful background music, I love it. <laughs> okay, if prophecy... So then he goes, okay, I, I put different scripture references. The next slide is like... Where is it? And a few slides down, I give kind of a list of different spiritual gifts. Apostleship, prophecy, discerning of spirits, teaching, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, um, kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. These are all the ones that are talked about throughout Scripture, kind of in the big Scripture passages, which is Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, um, and... First Peter 4. So I guess only chapters 12 and chapter 4 can be talking about spiritual gifts. <laughs> I always laughed. I was like, only 12. I'm like, why is it Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4? But um, maybe it just makes it easier for us to remember. But um, So these are the ones that are talked about there. There are other spiritual gifts. This is not a complete list, list but um, it's a good chunk. So that 
is for you for when you're ready to look at that. Or, so, but now we're going to kind of jump in to this passage in prophecy in proportion to his faith. So let's go into that, which is the next slide. So what are the different gifts that he refers to here? And he says, um, in prophecy in proportion to his faith. And so he, we, we were, Eric and I were talking about this yesterday. He said it's almost poetical, kind of like in, in this we're going to either do it this way or or if you if God has given you this do this and so it's kind of this going back and forth between the, between each of the gifts and saying if it's teaching teach if it's serving serve and so and then but it also changes it up a little bit and it's like if it if it's prophecy it's in proportion to the faith that God has given you um, and so prophecy is not declaring, not, it's not always declaring the future. It's most of the time prophecy is speaking forth or declaring or revealing God's truth. And so um, for a lot of people struggle with people that have the gift of prophecy because they don't like being called out on things. Um, and so... I remember my mom. My mom said that when she was a young believer, she took a prophecy class. Uh, not a prophecy class, a spiritual gifts class, and they they did the spiritual gifts test and like talked about what each of them meant. And she said that her top one was prophecy. And then it came up. The past the pastor stood up and said, "No one really likes the prophets <laughs> because." Because they're always declaring God's truth to people, <laughs> and people don't want to hear it. <laughs> and my mom thought, like, huh, that's really hard. What am I supposed to do? Um, but it, there is an aspect of, like, each of these, when when we're used in our role, we'll be like, I don't really, I don't really want to do that, but I know what you're saying is true, you know. So just like, just like our mercy people have to say to our prophets you need to speak more gently so you have you have all those aspects together so but so prophecy is speaking forth or declaring or revealing god's truth um and this is all done in accordance with the gift and i would say with your gift of faith the word our um in the greek is not is not there um it can be interpreted to translate it as our the NIV translates it as your. The KJV doesn't. It just says in proportion to faith, and so there's two different ways of interpreting um, what does it mean in proportion to faith. Meaning, is it in accordance with the faith that we have as Christians? Prophecy needs to follow God's truth. Or is it in proportion to the faith that God has given that individual prophet to speak? And um, one of the things that I really that I really respect about Wayne Grudem is that if he gets to a point where he's like, I haven't studied this and I don't know it, you need to ask this person about it. He won't he won't make a statement on what is God's truth if he doesn't feel like he knows for sure. And I go that 
for a prophet, someone who reveals or declares God's truth, I think that's really important, proportion to what God has given him in his own personal faith. And so um, I think that, I think both aspects are there. You can't have a prophet that isn't speaking the truth of Christ, but you also can't have a prophet that is speaking something that he's unaware of. So that God hasn't given him to have, to have faith. Um, but then we also have the also has the aspect of usually the the gift of prophecy and the gift of faith come hand in hand. You if you're a prophet, you usually has, also have the gift of faith. You have faith is so um, so with the gift of prophecy, some comes the gift of faith needed to exercise it in proportion to this faith. One should prophesy. So it's a a prophet is easy to believe what God says is true and able to declare it. Does that make sense? There's a lot. That's a lot. There, it's just that there's some wording there that's difficult. I like the next one. If serving in our serving. That one's nice and easy. <laughs> Translates pretty pretty quickly. Um, but service, is this is the helps ministry. Like and it's the purpose of the service is to build up the church. The purpose of every every um, spiritual gift is to build the church. Um, so if you're not using, if you have a spiritual gift and you're using it outside of the church, you need to be using it within the church. And the, when I say the church, I also mean the, the local body of believers. Um, this is why it's important that we gather together and work together to encourage and to build up and to mature the, the believers within the within our local congregation. Um, okay, so serving and serving. And the one who teaches, so if you if teaching, then teach. So it's and the teaching is not how to tie your shoe, but it's to encourage the knowledge of the gospel. And so this idea of teaching which is to build up the church and to have the, to help people have an understanding of who God is and what he is doing. Um, all right, to teaching. And then to the one who exhorts, I love this word, exhorts, because no one ever uses it in English in daily life. <laughs> exhorts in his exhortation. <laughs> I'm like, exhorts actually means to comfort, to encourage, or to urge. So we we know those people in our lives that, they comfort and encourage and, and and urge us to live a life for God. And this is to encourage us in our faith, not just to be a happy person, but to be growing into the likeness of Christ. And so, um, but this is also the, com- these are the comfort people. People that, and I think we use the word mercy wrong, actually. So I think that this is talking about people that do acts of mercy on other people that are like sick, sickly, and they go and encourage the sick, and they go and these are these are those people that encourage and comfort those that are in difficult situations. This is probably one of my lowest spiritual gifts, and every time I've taken a spiritual gifts test, it's always the bottom. So I'm like, oh, I need to work on that. So, but the one who contributes, 
in generosity. And the word contributes here is sharing. So, and the word generosity also has a sense of sincerely. So that we share sincere, sincerely, sincerely. So we share, we give sincerely and we give generously. And so that idea of giving with a cheerful heart and sharing what we have, um, which also comes later that this is not, this is something that comes easy for some and not for others, but all are called to it. <laughs> so especially in the body of Christ. So I, I always find it interesting, those that give freely and generously, they're like, oh, it's all God's anyways. And then you have the other person that's like, I gave $10 to this person, and I know it was really important, and it was a huge sacrifice for them, and it was really hard for them. And you know, they're like, I'm following what God has for me in Scripture. And so you have these two aspects um, of, the, of that, too, which is kind of funny, but... Uh, the one who leads, to lead with zeal. So to lead is to rule over. And the word zeal is with diligence and eagerness. And I really think that this is really important for every elder that's in a church. Every elder needs to have this zeal to lead with diligence and eagerness. But also, this is not just within the church, but within the the family home um, for the the one who's leading the family which scripture says the husband needs to be the head of the family and so he needs to be leading his family with zeal with diligence and eagerness um, so you can tell your husband that that would be fun <laughs> but um, and then the, the the one who does acts of mercy and so well, I was kind of like this idea of acts of mercy. When I think of it, I think of like going and helping the sick or the poor. But really, acts of mercy here. What he's talking about is showing mercy, which is the which is to act like God, who has shown us mercy. And so, this is to show mercy on behalf of the congregation, and this is to be done cheerfully and not begrudgingly. So this is this is talking about reconciling people after they've hurt in a congregation, um, which kind of changed my whole idea of what this means. Because I'm like, I'm like, you're supposed to go happily and help someone who like amputated their leg. How are you supposed to be like? I'm going to be happy here cheerfully. Oh, it's so great that God, you know, God allowed this to happen in your life. Like that's probably not what he's referring to here. And so it's actually this act of mercy of um, showing grace to someone who deserves punishment (laughs) or showing mercy to someone who deserves it. And I'm sure that there are lots of situations within the church community that we can think of like that pop right to my head that I go... We need to be doing this not begrudgingly, like, okay, I'll forgive you because because I'm supposed to. And he's like, no, this needs to be done cheerfully. And um, there are people in the congregation that are able to make those reconciliations um, more easily than others. 
because it's a gift that God has given them. And so that's kind of fun to see that aspect of it when I never saw it before. Okay, is that all of them? I think that's all of them. Yeah. So any questions on spiritual gifts? Has, any, has anyone done, does anyone know what their spiritual gifts are? Kayla? Kirsten? Anyone else? I'm trying to see. Shirley? Encouragement. Encouragement? Yeah, you, I could, I probably could have told you that one. <laughs> you are such an encourager. Well, thank you. It's a gift. It, it is. From God. <laughs> Does anyone else know what their gifts are? Maybe. Kirsten, what did... Minor, um, faith and hospitality are two of my higher ones. Yeah, yeah. Mine were discernment and hospitality. Yeah. Being able to... Man, hospitality is one of my lowest... It's so interesting that this is how this is how God makes us as a body of Christ is that we are to work together. And so when I can't do something, someone else can do something and you know, so that's kind of how it goes, but um do we have any others that you know of? I did mine I struggled big time. We did that a couple of years ago on one of our women's Bible study and I was very frustrated because I couldn't see any gifts. And uh, and now I can see a few. Uh, I did the test and all that. And supposedly I, I'm uh, encouragement and, and help. Yeah. Very see, true. Yeah. And you are you you're an you are an encourager as well as well as a as a service person, you know, like you you desire to help in any way that you can. Uh-huh. And so we need the body of Christ needs all aspects of, of this. And so um, I would encourage you, if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, is to start asking, not necessarily to take a spiritual gifts test. That can be helpful, but it also is helpful to ask the people around you, what do you see are my gifts that can be used in the body of Christ? Um, and so it's sometimes it's hard to see what God is doing in our in our own lives, what He has called us to. Um, but but the people around us can be like, oh yeah, of course you're an encourager. Why have you? Why are you not doing more of that? You're you know like I know that you're an intercessor. So like we have two people in our small group that are intercessors. They're constantly asking, how can we be praying for you? What can we do to pray for you? Can we pray for you? What can we be doing for? And they're constantly doing this, and that does not come naturally for me. It's not my, it's not one of my spiritual gifts that are on the high, the the high end of my spiritual gifts. I go, I have to really think hard about. Okay, I need to set a time to pray for these people, but theirs is like that. Just comes naturally for them, and it's a gift that God has given them. And so you go, you have all these people within our congregation that really. Um, that we work together well. So. Julianne, I did this. It's called Strength Finders. Yeah. Is that, would that be so, spiritual gifts or no? No, Strength Finders is, it kind of tells you what you are 
strong in. Strong in, but it's not a spiritual. It's not a spiritual gifts test. Okay. So, um, because those things are not meant for the edification of the body of Christ. So. And yet, I believe that sometimes God gives us certain strengths or abilities or personality traits that go hand in hand with those spiritual mm-hmm. gifts that He gives us as well, too, though. Because mine, mine were belief. My top five. It was like belief, responsibility, empathy, connectedness, and harmony. Yeah, I know those notes aren't spiritual gifts. Well, I was just wondering what the difference. So we. Literally, I think we spent like two small groups talking about what is the difference between what God has given us as abilities and what are the and what God has given us as gifts. And so sometimes our gifts and our, our abilities line up. Sometimes they're totally separate. And so we have to be aware of that. Is that the Spirit gives us something that is totally not our strength. And he's and he gives it to us, and we do it. And when we do it, the whole body of Christ is edified. And then you have you have times where it's like, I'm really good at this. I am an awesome manager. And you step into the manager position in the church, and you're like, I'm going to manage these things. And it's not your spiritual gift. You can manage things, but it's not for the edification of the body. You can manage a business, but you're not able to manage the church in spiritual growth. And so you have you have these different aspects of what is your spiritual gift within the body of Christ. It might be different than what your abilities are. It might it might line up. So, um, like, if someone is really gifted as a teacher, uh, like an elementary school teacher, and they're like. I'm really gifted as an elementary school teacher, and they try to do elementary, um, what do you call it, ministry? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, Sunday school. Sunday school, and they try to do yeah. Sunday school. Um, and they're like, I'm trying, I'm trying to implement all the things I have in my classroom here, and it's just not working. Then you start asking, well, what what is it that, you what how can you edify the body of Christ what is it that God has given you to edify the body of Christ and then what they really found out is that the gift that God has given them is not teaching children um, Sunday school but it's actually a compassion ministry and they desire to go and to see other believers that are in difficult situations and you're like yeah they have this aspect of teaching outside of the church but their spiritual gift is something different, and so um, there's a there's a balance. But I mean, we these are things that we discuss as Christians. What does it look like? So, do we have uh, to recommend a spiritual gifts test? Do we have a spiritual gifts test? We made our small group take one, and what we was- actually have one through the church that. Like when um, someone goes through membership, we have one that we can send them, and then I guess Jay even gets those results. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So if someone is looking for it, then they can they can, they can contact. contact Sharon. Okay. So if yeah. you're looking for it, contact Sharon. Um, 
So, but I would also just give a warning with the test. It's not a final answer, and it's not a decree from God. So, um, it's just, yeah. So be be careful. Be careful when you use it. Um, so when you get it, if you do it and you finish it, you go. You start asking the people around you, "Is this what you see in my life?" that can be an edification to the body. And that's where you start. And you say, okay, God has given me, if God has given me these gifts, let me try to practice them within the body of Christ. And we really need this. We, the church really needs this. Um, I'm not saying North. North really needs this. But the church in general really needs the body of believers to take a step forward and to be diligent um, in their service. And so, okay. Any other questions? I just have a comment. Mm-hmm. I just want to thank you for how you clarified that. Like if you teach, but in church it may be compassion. That was very helpful. So thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. So different what your gift, what you may do in the world and what you may do at church. Yeah. And so you have to recognize our spiritual gifts are they're gifts from God. And so sometimes, especially for us that really struggle with pride, God gives us gifts that are not our strengths. So, so uh, thank you for that. Yeah. So, well, you can thank Eric. That was Eric. <laughs> okay. So I want to continue because I have no idea what time it is. It looks like our clock was unplugged. Oh, we're way over. Are you guys okay? Or do you want to, do you want to keep going or you can you can leave if you want to <laughs> I'm sorry we I thought we had lot I, I was also late uh, okay well let's just kind of work through this last little section about love if you're okay if you want to leave you can leave that works um, so Love, and he, now he's kind of talking to believers in general, not not like this is to everyone, um, to every individual. Love is to be genuine. So even in all of our gifts that we're given, we are to love. And this word is the agape love. I'm sure we've all heard kind of those different, there's phileo love, there's, well, there's three of them in Greek. One is agape, which is really only used um, by the church which I thought is interesting. Um, And it's this unconditional love between God and his people, but it's also shared among his people. So love is to be sincere and without pretense. So love is to be genuine. Um, And it's also the aspect, then he goes and you're kind of like, okay, love is genuine, abhor evil. You're like, okay, what kind of list is this? He's like jumping from one to the other. Um, But there's a connection here. He says, abhor means to hate or to to strongly hate or to loathe something. And so to loathe what is evil. And I feel like we have a good understanding of what's evil. He set that up at the beginning of um, the beginning of the book of Romans. But and then hold fast to what is good. To hold fast means to join, to cling or to be united to. So this is the same clinging as in a marriage. So cling on to what is good, making meaning like that commitment, making a commitment to what is good. 
Um, good is also this idea of what is right um, and what is pleasing to God. Um, well, I, I'm taking a quote from one of the commentaries, which I really, really liked. So it was like, love is not... Um, Love is not genuine when it leads someone to do something evil or to avoid doing what is right, as defined by God's word. And so this is one of the commentaries on the book of Romans, Douglas Moo. And I really, I think that we need to work, our word for love has been hijacked by our culture, and so we really need to redefine what what love actually looks like. Um, So... Love can't be genuine when it leads to something evil because we're supposed to abhor what is evil and um, or when it avoids or when it leads someone to avoid doing something that is good, which is what we're supposed to hold fast to. Um, and evil and good are defined by God, not by us. So, um, But I, I kind of see now his connection between, the, between those those love and and hate what is evil and do what is good. Um, the word love here in, ch- in verse 10, to love one another with brotherly affection, to love is, all, is the word to be devoted to. Um, and then brotherly affection is brotherly love or brotherly kindness. So we are to be devoted to one another in love and kindness to one another, um, which that word devoted is I think really important especially within the church today it's lacking a lot being devoted as a as a commune as a body of believers um, and so we could we easily would get frustrated with one church and we jump and we go to another church and then we get frustrated with that church and we jump and we go and devotedness is really missing um, so that's another aspect but then he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Um, I, I just took a quote from another, uh, another commentary, but it says, as far as honor is conter- concerned, let each one esteem the other more highly than oneself. And I really like, I think that's a good example. Instead of like outdoing each other, that makes it sound like it's a, some type of competition. And we're like, no, it's, that, it's the, this idea of to esteem, to hide more than more than yourself, to esteem each other. Um, so, I liked that. But uh, and then, do not be slothful in zeal. And honestly, I can say, coming back to the church in America, and not just I'm not not I'm not talking about North just North Bible Church. I'm talking about the church in general. Slothful in zeal is one is one of the church's sins right now. Um, We are very lazy in diligence and eagerness um, as believers, and that will have to change, and it will will have to change, especially as the culture continues to go one way, and you're going to... The people that just come and just sit and do nothing, it's not... They're going to have to make a decision. I'm either all in or I'm not in. And so, um, but uh, this is speaking from outside the church, looking in and seeing. If if you want to have an idea of this, 
ask some of our some of our members of our church that are not American and they have come from another place and they're now members of our church and you say what do you think this is the church's weakness and they will say it's diligence and eagerness and and commitment these are the things that we don't see in the American church and so um, but when I read this I'm like this is a warning and it's not just because it's America, the American church but this is something that's in our hearts that it's really easy to just become lazy in our zeal and our, in our diligence and our eagerness um, to be to have a great passion of the spirit and to ask what is it the Lord desire of me and I, what can I do to serve him um, I like the word here to serve the Lord actually means to be enslaved to the Lord. And it makes me think back to the beginning of Romans when he talks about the, um, that we're, we're either slaves to sin or slaves to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And I think Paul is, is using that same word to remind us. He's like, we can't, be, we can't be lazy in this, but we need to put ourselves in the position of a slave to the Lord. And what a slave is always diligent in his work. And so um, that, that aspect is there. So um, Then we have, man, we've got, how did we get so far behind in time? I don't know. But uh, rejoice in hope. So rejoice and be, rejoice is to be hopeful. Um, and hope is that that's our eternal hope in God, um, patient in tribulation. And if we remember in Romans five, they talked about the hope, hope and patient, and um, the hope that comes through our sufferings. Um, and also in, Re- in chapter eight, that we patiently wait um, for the hope that we have in Christ, that we will one day be eternal, um, that we will be raised again. You know, the hope that we have in Christ when he returns, um, that we will live live with him for the rest of eternity. So in hope, be patient in tribulation, which is something he, he's already talked about. And then he adds to it and he said, be constant in prayer. And truthfully, when we hope and we're patiently waiting, we do it in with prayer. Um, but sometimes when we're going through suffering or tribulations or trials, it's hard for us to pray. And, and I think this is also in another place where he urges us is like, be persevere through prayer, in prayer. Um, we must devote ourselves to prayer, looking ahead with hope, um, and looking ahead with hope and looking behind with thankfulness. So saying, this is where God has brought me um, and then we praying ahead to what God has for us that will come. Um, and then he says, contribute to the to the needs of the saints, share or give to the needs of believers. Um, Ephesians four twenty eight says, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And so it was the goal of believers is to work honestly, not to just gain their own wealth, but to also to share it with other people, which I think is kind of cool. So, um, 
and nowadays you can be like maybe a wife is at home just working um, just like maybe a wife is just home um, and the kids are now out of the house and she's what do I want what should I do and maybe she gets a job just so that she can support a missionary going out into the world you know that was her whole purpose in the job is not to like add to the household income but is just for whatever and so is that doing honest work with your own hands so that you might share with someone in need or or to or or to give to um to the church or to mission work or things like that so um and also to seek to show hospitality and i was like pursuing hospitality some of us are really good with hospitality right <laughs> like the ones that have the gift of hospitality but then there's others that are not and so I honestly thought of Kirsten because I'm like you're really good at showing kindness to new people and getting people connected to, and that's one way of, of showing hospitality to, to, to people and I think that's really cool um but uh, this last section we, is really interesting, talking about persecution. And honestly, I, I don't know if we should just start with this next week. Should we do that? You think that's okay? I think we're going to start with this next week um, because I think it will lead into submission to authorities and things like that. Um, and I thought I think I was going too slow because I thought we would have more time, so I'm sorry. But um, but I, I think that there's a lot here to wrestle with. But I think one of the things that we need to ask is what is it that God has for you to do within the body of Christ? Um, Kayla made the comment. She's like, we're all here stuck at home, and kind of dealing with our own inward person self we can ask these questions what is god what has god gifted us with and so and what can we be doing um within the body of christ